Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. gentlemen this is alex from undying light with another attributes of god episode um we are now finally getting to the end of the series we have uh this episode obviously and then we have one more potentially two more and then we'll have the grand finale i think by the time this airs there'll be two attributes left and then the grand finale uh, episode so uh, we're pretty close to the end, and then we will actually start digging into the eschatology series that I know I've been getting a ton of DMs about and people asking me my views and my opinions. So we will unpack those as we get into it. That's August, start date. So as I've been doing in all of my recent shows that I've had wonderful guests on, I have... Um, allow them to introduce themselves. And then I also allow them to tell me uh, what attribute they have picked and why. And then we, uh, we talk about that. So um, I have tonight Leanne from Faithful Defender joining me. Uh, she was gracious enough to sneak in some time into her busy life. And uh, so if you care to introduce yourself and tell the people a little bit about you. Sure. So my name's Leanne, and I'm mostly found over on Instagram um, as Faithful Defender. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and go by the same names. And um, I have a a Bachelor of Arts degree in Christian Studies, um, and I graduated nine years ago from my Christian university. And after graduation, my husband and I got married and... um, kind of was in a lot of various different roles since um, since then. I've served in administrative roles, teaching roles, leadership roles, um, some of which have been connected to the church or ministry in some ways. And God has used all of those um, in many different ways to shape and grow me. And then four years ago, we had our first child. Our son is four. And we have a daughter who's two. And at that point, when we had our first baby. 
decided to kind of step back and be a stay-at-home mom and take care of my kids and our home. And I love that. That's my first job, my first ministry. It's such a blessing to be able to do that. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And um, about two and a half or three years ago, my husband and I started noticing kind of a trend. It mostly started with people that we personally knew. And then we started seeing things in culture that kind of reflected what we were seeing personally. But we started noticing friends of ours who um, that we grew up with. Um, we both grew up in Christian homes. So these are people that were Christians with us growing up in the church or who went to the Christian university that we went to that were um, doing one or two things. One of two things. They were either um, uh, rejecting the faith altogether, walking away from the faith and becoming something like an agnostic or an atheist. The other thing that we saw was happening was um, people that we knew were adopting more of a liberal or progressive Christianity. So they were, would retain the name Christian, but would uh, deny essential doctrines of the faith. So whether that be like denying the doctrine of hell or the bodily resurrection of Jesus, things like that. And so that just kind of, it's, it stirred in my husband and I's heart, you know, it, of course, because we love these people. Um, and then we started seeing in the greater culture of the church, the same things happening. So I just decided to kind of reach back into my biblical studies degree and figure out what was going on just so I could uh, talk to these people, have logical, thoughtful conversations, you know, dive back into theology and apologetics and exegesis and hermeneutics and all those things I learned in school and then about six or seven months ago, realized that I could probably share this stuff online. So I created my accounts and I just, I share the things that I learn. Um, my hope is that it gives people a place to stand on their Christian faith with logic, with, uh, you know, doctrine, strong, strong doctrines. Um, they can refute false teachings, like kind of talk about the false teachings that are prevalent in the church and, um, I hope that it helps people. So that's what I do. It's definitely a side hobby. That's me because um, my first job is being a mom. And so when I do post and share things, it's like when the kids are sleeping and when I have the spare time. But that is what I love to do because I want to help people defend the faith. And I want people that I love and that I care about to stay firm in the faith that they grew up in. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's me. That's busy. what I do. And uh, I can, <clears throat> yes. know, it's, I can attest to, you know, I only have one daughter. So having, you know, we're, we're in the, the, the mm -hmm. preliminary talks of a second kid in the future, but, uh, you know, one kid and she's sure. two, a little over two and she is a bottle rocket, just yeah. nonstop energy all the time. <laughs> and, uh, such a blessing. Yes. She's so much fun. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I totally get what it's like, you know, you're trying yeah. to, squeeze in dms and and get a post out and you're you know i'm chasing after her trying to get her to eat mm -hmm. and, you know, put her pants back on or some yep. yep exactly <laughs> so before we get to exactly. the actual topic on hand i, I do want to uh i want to kind of talk about something with you because i think this is and i'm going to steer the ship a little bit in the complete opposite direction even though you weren't expecting this. Okay. But you mentioned it in the pre-show. Okay, um, great. <laughs> and so I, I really am okay. curious, you know, you said you've seen a lot of your friends move towards that liberal theology style. Mm -hmm. And so you said your DMs yeah. have been getting slammed as of mine. You know, 
talk about that mm-hmm. just for a few minutes. You know that that just you know maybe it's just to get it off the both of our chats because I know you get a lot of people and I know a lot mm-hmm. of the people we know mm-hmm. are in the same boat we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like from a personal perspective, or just yeah. in general, yeah. like what from person? Yeah. Um. Sure. So. <laughs> there's so much going on in culture right now, even. And, um, I think we all know all the things going on, but, um, I think what we're seeing now with everything happening in the church and in culture, um, is the result of what I like to say, like Mm -hmm. the Trojan horse breaking open overnight. (laughs) So, um, I think there's been like some other really great theologians have used that term when it comes to like social justice, but not just, Social justice, I think, is a part of the progressive liberal Christian movement, um, which is what I initially saw and my husband initially saw with our friends and even some family members two or three years ago. Um, Actually, I'd say it started uh, whenever whatever year it was that Rob Bell released that book that like condemned him that talked about, you know, uh, gosh, what was the name of it? Um, Where he talked about how I'm not a heretic. Huh? No, I. It may have been before that when, um, where he talked about hell didn't exist. I must, must, I think it had uh, the name love in the title. Um, Love wins. wins, That's right. So when he released that book, which was like condemned him, that's when we started noticing a lot of our friends saying, "Oh, maybe hell doesn't exist." And that's what I remember was the initial like piqued my interest Mm -hmm. and started like paying attention more, but progressive Christianity and liberal Christianity typically adopt, they like, they keep the name Christian, but Mm -hmm. they reject doctrines like hell or they reject doctrines of biblical marriage. Um, they reject, um, you know, the barley resurrection of Jesus or even his substitutionary, uh, death on the cross, things like that. And so that's what we started noticing with our, friends. And these are people that we went to a conservative Christian college with people who majored in the same degree program that I majored in, uh, people that we grew up, we were both raised in Southern Baptist churches. So very conservative, um, churches, people who were born and raised that way, rejecting things like that. And slowly the social justice gospel kind of started getting thrown in there too. And, um, a lot of people, the best way that I can describe it is that it was a Trojan horse, like all of these things, the social justice gospel, the Jesus just came to make life better on earth kind of thing um, that slowly crept into the church overnight. And then with recent events that happened in our country, I feel like the social justice Trojan horse like broke open overnight. And now we're seeing, I'm not seeing just those liberal progressive friends talk this way that we've seen for a couple of years now. Like I've been seeing that, like I said, for two or three years, but now everyone, I'd say like 98% of people that I know personally on social media is talking this way using social justice yep. language and more progressive language, whether they know it or not. And so now I feel like even more burden to like share and I have been sharing things for two and a half years personally and then on my public account faithful defender I have been but like um just want to get people like I need like I need people to understand what's happening and I feel that 
burden I think a lot of us do right now because it is so subtle and it sounds right. Justice sounds right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the attribute of God, you know, (laughs) he's just, um, but they don't understand the history of it. And people who've been paying attention like you or other people that we follow in this circle, we understand the history of some of these progressive movements and they're not rooted in Christianity. And there's like an urgency, I think within people who love the true doctrines of the faith, who love the true Christian faith um, to warn people that we love and the churches that we love to be on guard. And so, yeah, my DMS are full personally on the personal side of things on my faithful defender account, as I'm sure you are too. And, a lot of people are because we're just trying to put out fires. It feels like one goes out and then another one pops up. So there's just a lot going on, but I'm thankful, I guess, in some ways that the Lord, you know, allowed what we experienced two or three years ago with our friends to kind of be the foundation that my husband and I saw that we were able to jump into apologetics and theology, you know, a while ago. So we're not like drinking from a fire hydrant right now. A lot of people who are trying to understand are, and so we're just trying to be voices of reason and it's not easy, but I feel like it's really would, needed right now. I would agree. And, you know, I did a lot of apologetic studying, yeah. um, back in 2016, I think ballparking, um, cause I just, just had an overwhelming you yeah. know, desire to do so. And so I did a lot of Ravi Zacharias's studies and read a lot of his books and mm-hmm. read, um, a bunch of other stuff too. And, it, you know, so it gives me a relatively good foundation. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not by any means an apologist. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a James White. Um, not, mm-hmm. you know, no, you know, he's in his whole right. category. But it's this whole know, movement yeah. has just seemed to shock Christianity. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, not yeah. just even going on to, you know, what the culture is experiencing but what Christianity is experiencing, even today, Christianity today, uh, as we record this on the 12th of June, released an article uh, that said that the church needs to pay restoration back to um, to oh African Americans. And I'm like, but no. Mm. <laughs> You're right. Right. Uh, you know, and basis? I'm glad yeah, that I don't mm-hmm. take my direction from them. Uh, I don't read their articles. I don't support them in any right. manner, but a lot of people do. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, yeah, that these lot. people, uh, you know, adopt these ideologies and then, but still call themselves Christian. And I think that's an extremely mm-hmm. dangerous approach for the church at, at a macro level. And, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I, you know, my experience just comes from random people DMing me and, uh, you know, I got, I have some friends who are mm-hmm. a bit more social, uh, or more liberal. I have some friends that are more charismatic. Um, I don't generally talk to them very often, especially around these particular topics. So, you know, my, my, my experience is generally from yeah. just random strangers. I mean, DMing me. So, yeah, but like I got into a debate with a guy who doesn't even follow me the other night. I figured I'd entertain his DM because he had a legitimate question. <laughs> and I simply stated yeah. that you cannot find anywhere in the scripture where Jesus talks about 
justice reform or social justice or you know you know anything like that and he yeah. was trying to argue with me could not provide right. actually scripture to argue with me with but you know it was opinion mm-hmm. and i and i'm seeing that as being a lot of this movement right. within christianity is they cannot support they cannot supply mm-hmm. us scripture or if they do it's completely ripped out of context Right. And it's a lot of um, emotion, emotionalism. And that's like gets into the bigger <laughs> when you understand the hist- the trajectory of the American evangelical church over the last 20 or so years, like through the 90s and 2000s, then you can understand a little bit how we got to where we are right now. Because of all, like you said, they're not giving you scripture or it's completely out of context. It's based mostly on opinion yep. And it's emotionalism. Um, and the church has, I think it shows a failure of the American church by not teaching their congregants sound doctrine and theology for the last 20, 25, 30 years. And we're seeing the fruit of that right now, especially because like the younger generation like us and even younger than us mm-hmm. um, are the result of that. We taught you know, the seeker sensitive pragmatic movement of the church for all those years, you know, we want numbers, we want attendance, we want people to come into the doors, we want people to feel accepted and welcomed and loved. So we're going to peddle a soft gospel message that's accepting and compassionate. And that's what people want to focus on with this social justice issue right now is the compassionate, you know, emotional side of things rather than really under, Mm. like nobody understands God's justice anymore. Like nobody and I, yep. not the way that it's supposed to be. And, um, I just, I wrote a piece that'll come out, I think in the next few weeks, um, for, um, a website and it was all, about, it was mm-hmm. about the justice of God, that attribute of him. And gosh, as I was studying it, like I knew that stuff from college, but diving into it, I'm like, who teaches this anymore? Like God's justice, and we'll, it moves into what we'll talk about tonight about God's simplicity, how they all, all of his attributes work together in tandem. Um, but people don't understand that anymore. And I think we're seeing the fruit of that. They want to focus on compassion and love of God and mercy of God. But they don't understand yep. how it also works yep. with his justice or his wrath. And gosh, it just, it breaks my heart. Like that. Christians who have been in the church for that long or who are coming into the church recently, they aren't understanding those things. And what a failure of the church. Yeah. It it just makes me so upset. It's interesting because like you said, most Christians today are ignorant and illiterate when it comes to understanding the Bible. Like they know talking points and they know what they can get from a song or a Mm t-shirt or bumper sticker but they don't actually open their Bible yeah. to truly understand anything. And, um, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, it's frustrating from my perspective as somebody who's entering the ministry and, you know, looking at a congregation that may have experienced 20 years of fluffy teaching and I step into the pulpit and I deliver, right. mm-hmm. you know, scripture, I deliver, you know, a, a sermon that's, you know, freeing them from their sin. And I, I mean, I can't tell you how mm-hmm. many times I've preached in a church and I've had congregants come up to me and they're like, we've never heard preaching like that before. 
And, and I'm not, you know, yeah, wow. tooting my mm-hmm. own horn by any means. I'm just doing what God has instructed me to do. And right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. often just reading the it's Bible shocking. as it is. Uh-huh. Absolutely shocking. Yeah. The mm-hmm. amount of illiterate Christians yeah. out there. But and it, again, this is a topic mm-hmm. that we can talk about for hours. I, I knew that I, I sensed it in right. your uh, in our opening talk that you get some you know, a little steam you want right. to get off your chest, though. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, does. this also goes into what we'll talk about tonight because it will help under uh, help people understand how God and functions. So it's a good the way he see. Does. See, I'm always thinking ahead. Not not really. I totally had did not have this plan. Yeah, I, <laughs> I am the most unorganized show host you'll ever meet. I promise. <laughs> but it did. No, but see, it worked it out this yeah. time because it, it so does flow into it. You gave it, you gave it away. So in in your in your last uh, few comments, so um, God's simplicity. So uh, we can continue building upon that, but I kind of want to turn it back towards the attribute side of it and and have you you know talk about why mm-hmm. you picked that. I know I know by the time we get to the end of the series there wasn't many left unfortunately, but it was it it was yeah. by divine grace that I DM'd you and you were <laughs> just like I want to talk about that. Yes. Right. Yeah, cuz I had just finished learning about it um and that's why I chose it because um I, it was fresh in my mind, but I had so the doctrine of God's divine simplicity um, may sound foreign to some people, but as we get into talking about it, I think they'll understand. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I've hopefully they'll understand that. Um, oh, well, I've heard this talked about before. That's, of course, how God functions. Um, but I didn't really know it had a formal name uh, until fairly recently. And one of the main, uh, not the main, but one of the more recent places that I heard it talk about was um, on American Gospel, yeah. the second one they did, Christ Crucified. Mm-hmm. And they go through a lot of, I don't know if you've seen it yet. Um, yeah, it's really awesome because they do go through all the attributes of God or most of them. And they talk about God's simplicity on it, which um, really helps um, the main point of that that film. Um, it drives home, you know, all of these attributes of, of God. And so I, uh, so I chose it because Yes, it was fresh in my mind, um, but also because I think it helps just given the climate that we're in, given my history and experience with people I personally know leaving the faith because they don't understand how God can be loving and wrathful at the same time. This doctrine and attribute of God helps Christians or people who are questioning the faith understand how he can be the way he is. Um, And so you're not going to find this, you know, this definition or this, you know, attribute plainly in scripture. It, you know, developed, you know, in later times, like the Trinity is not in scripture, that word or whatever, but um, this idea is throughout scripture. And so it got a name later by a lot of church fathers. And so, and it, and it was a way to help people understand how God functions, just like the Trinity and the councils that met after, um, Christianity became a religion, you know, Mm -hmm. helped people understand God a little bit. So, um, that is, um, that's why I chose it. I just think it, it really helps people, um, understand the God that they serve. I want to go back 
in the podcast timeline to early in this series, and I had Jason from Daily Reformation on, and him and I tackle God's immutability. And he made a quote on that podcast uh-huh. episode, and and I think we can probably use that to this where he says that immutability is the glue of all the attributes because God doesn't change. And I think mm. the his immutability right. is kind of the second level above simplicity because we we have to have a simplistic God mm-hmm. in order for all of the other attributes to kind of to to be what they are. So yeah. people are asking, well what's simplicity? Right. Uh we I will let you give the definition. However, we also, we have to, before that, understand that simplicity does not Uh mean that, you know, God is simple or slow or any, you know, anything like we would think in human terms. So I will cue you up and you can deliver the definition. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the best way to describe it um, and I did I kind of piece this definition together from American gospel, from other places that I was reading, but, um, the simplicity of God is that God is without parts. So the being of God is identical to the attributes of God. And just like you said, it does not simplicity. The word does not mean that God is dull or slow, or it doesn't also, it also does not mm. mean that he is yep. easy to understand and sim- like simple. Um, it basically means it's the opposite of compound. So when you have something that it's a compound, it means it's composed of at least two or more elements. So if God was a compound or if he was composed of these things or parts, then as you were talking about immutability a minute ago, if he was composed of these things, he would lose his perfection, his oneness, his independence, and his immutability. So another really simple way to put it is that whatever yep. God has, God is. So he's not made up in parts or percentages. Percentages. It's not like he's 50% love and 50% justice, or he has like 25% wrath and 15% mercy. He actually has a hundred percent of every attribute at all times. And that's why and how he can be perfect. Um, Kevin DeYoung writes, he has an article uh, or an essay he wrote about the simplicity of God. And he wrote, and I'll quote him really quick. He says, God is not made up of his attributes. He does not consist of goodness, mercy, justice, and power. Rather, he is goodness, mercy, justice, and power. Every attribute of God is Mm -hmm. identical with his essence. God is a simple being without parts or pieces. His attributes do not stick to him. He is what they are, unquote. Um, So that's why like when you see in scripture, God distributing his justice or his wrath, he is and can do it in the most loving of ways. And when he demonstrates his love, he's doing so in the most righteous of ways. Um, So, uh, this doctrine is also kind of related to the doctrines of transcendence and unity in some ways, but um, that's kind of the basic, I guess, best way to do it, simple way to describe the simplicity. I of think God. I nailed it. And I think we could wrap the show right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is, it's in, it's right. <laughs> a complex attribute to try to kind of understand because a lot of people, especially in today's church, and we kind of highlighted it early on is 
God is just love and he's just, he wants to be your friend and God loves you, bro. And all this other, right. but they miss the fact that while God is equally love, God is equally wrathful and just. And so these right. attributes have yeah. to be balanced perfectly in our understanding of God. Otherwise we are, we have a God right. made in our own image. And so exactly. a highlight before yeah. we, I start to let you unpack your um, your uh, um, notes and that. I, I want to make an address to those mm-hmm. who read through Scripture. Anytime you see the Lord described in Scripture and it's followed by is and then something, that is an element of God's simplicity. It's not God is a part of. So, for instance, in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, revealing uh, reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making the making wise the simple. And so anytime we see stuff like that, where it's a description of God, mm-hmm. it is always is being used to describe God, because right. that is what and who God is. So uh, I will let you yeah. steer the ship a little bit and kind of uh, run down your notes and see what we get. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I thought, like I was kind of giving in the intro just a second ago, um, you know, the word God is simple or whatever, mm-hmm. that phrase God is simple is not in scripture. It was something that came later, like the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, so I went back and I tried to find where it was first used. And um, this just might be helpful to people who are interested, but um, the oldest of the doctrinal standards of the reformed churches is the Belgic confession, which happened in 1561. And that confession actually begins with a declaration of God's simplicity. So in article one, and I'll quote, they say that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. And um, again, that was 1561. Um, There could uh, I guess maybe that was the first time that it was, um, I think it was the first time laid out in that, a, with that um, word confession. Um, yes. Right. But I, yep. but there were all these, you know, church fathers that talked about it. So Irenaeus, Augustine, Aquinas, um, and they all have quotes that talk about it. So just to kind of give some background, Augustine wrote, um, God has no properties, but his pure essence. They neither differ from his essence, nor do they differ materially from each other. Um, Aquinas wrote, since God does not have a body like us, he is not composed of extended parts as if he were composed of form and matter. It's not as if God were something different from his own nature. So again, kind of, mm-hmm. we talked about how God's not compound. So he's saying there in that quote that he isn't composed of things like humans are. Um, and then Irenaeus wrote, um, for the father of all is a vast distance from those affections and passions, which operate among men. He is a simple uncompounded being without diverse members and altogether like and equal to himself. Since he is holy understanding and holy spirit and holy thought and holy intelligence and holy reason and the whole source of all that is good, unquote. So that's kind of the history of it. Um, so it's been an idea, like I just said, that came. Um, they're looking at scripture, how God, like what you just said, how God is something. They look through the whole council of scripture and um, and they came up with this doctrine to help 
uh, Christians understand mm-hmm. in some way who so God I'm gonna is. So I'm going to speed through the timeline a little bit and come to uh, a, it's a little bit of a lengthy mm-hmm. quote from Herman um, Bavnik in his Reformed Dogmatics Volume okay. Two, which okay. I'm I'm thinking about actually buying all, right. all four volumes. I haven't I haven't decided to pull the pull the trigger wow. yet. I've got. <laughs> Um, some books in my Amazon card I'm, I'm drooling over. So I'm, uh, they're like, they're uh-huh. expensive. They're like yeah. 150 bucks for a four. So I'm like, uh. I understand. <laughs> so Herman yeah. says the simplicity yeah. is of great importance. Nevertheless, for our understanding of God, it is not only taught in scripture where God is called light, life and love, but also automatically follows from the idea of God and is necessarily implied in other attributes. Simplicity here is an antinome of compound. If God is composed of parts like a body or composed of uh, class and differentiate attributes of different species belonging to the same genus, substance and accidents, matter and form, potentially and actually essence and existence, then his perfection, oneness, independence, and immutability cannot be maintained. So, He's yeah. he's a tough read um, to to follow through, yeah. you know, the kind of his mind as he's writing, um, but such a profound mm-hmm. mind when you dig into his uh, into his yeah. works, and you know, and I think his this his quote kind of sums up exactly what we've been just talking about, where you know his his persona is this. And that he is not made up of mm-hmm. these things because if he were made up of uh, substance or, you know, a matter or form or something, then he and his, you know, like Herman says, his perfection, his oneness, independence, and immutability cannot be maintained. They're just there's too many, you know, um, right. factors now being put into play that would remove other attributes. And then he's just not God. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, I think I actually read that quote from, I think maybe mm-hmm. Kevin DeYoung quoted it in one of his essays actually, because when you're reading it, it sounded super familiar, but, um, yeah, he, I think, uh, just a common like misconception along that line is that whether Christians know what they're doing or not, you know, I think some people just don't under, they don't mean what they say sometimes, but I don't think we should state, you know, that one certain attribute like God's love or mercy is what God is while his other attributes like justice or holiness or whatever are just attitudes Mm -hmm. or traits that he takes on when he needs them. Um, Because he's not like some abstract being that happens to have love, kindness, mercy, or justice. He is those things at all time, at all times. Um, and I think, like I said, I think it's just a common error that a lot of people in the church make, but if they understood the doctrine of simplicity, it would help them to understand who God is and to avoid that mistake. And I also read, um, another essay by someone named David Bentley Hart. And he said that I, this is just an interesting side note, I guess, but, um, he said that a lot of Christians today take on a belief unknowingly most of the time that um, theologians mm-hmm. call mono polytheism. So 
mono meaning one and then polytheism meaning like many gods but in the sense of this word mono polytheism it's a belief that there is one god uh but he looks like the gods maybe of mythology or it looks like a god that possesses human attributes but like in a greater measure and so david bentley hart writes um, about monopolytheism. He says, if that's true, then God not only would be made up of various parts or properties, but would be logically dependent on some more comprehensive reality, embracing both him and other beings. So that's the end of the quote, but that would mean like that God is, if that's true, that God is dependent on the attributes themselves, which would naturally be greater than he is. And that they exist outside of himself. So he'd be like dependent on them. And and he's at the mercy, so to speak, of those attributes. But that's not the case. Like he embodies all of them. And I think um, he is those things. Um, so not that everybody walking around is a mono polytheist or whatever. But that's kind of, I think, the way that some people think about the attributes of God and yeah. how he encompasses I've all of them at one time. I've actually encountered... A few people that believe that they would say, well, your God is the same as my God, and we just believe that they're made up of the same manner. And obviously, that's not the case, because, you know, you see that sometimes in Islam where, you know, they say, well, we worship the same God. You know, but their God mm-hmm. is something that is completely made up. Whereas our God is something that right. we can trace back through history and produce mm-hmm. documents and artifacts and, you know, tangible proof that what our God has done in mm-hmm. history is proven to be true. And so it's interesting how, right. you know, looking at how the world religions are in terms of how they view God or how some people outside of Christianity or even on the fringes of Christianity will say that, you know, we're all, Mm -hmm. we all believe the same. We all believe in a God and then that God is the same as, you know, the God, you know, I think Oprah has been quoted saying that a few times in a roundabout way that, you know, we're all, we're all, we're all getting to the same God. We're just taking different paths get there and Mm -hmm. and if you boil that down to its core you get exactly what you just explained that we would have a god that's made up of all of these different things all these different you know concepts and beliefs and it just isn't god anymore right because then he becomes like like what i was just saying he becomes um at the or at the mercy of those attributes like who's in charge of those attributes Mm -hmm. if it's not god if that makes sense like if he is just taking on love well then who's really in charge of love um and if he's taking on justice well who's really in charge of justice but if god is who we know him to be in scripture then he is all of those things he defines he gets to define what they mean because he is those things and like i think you know another thing that you hear people saying um, is that God, and we kind of talked about it already, but God is love, but he acts on his justice or wrath. And this would imply also that one characteristic 
in this case, love is more central to his being rather than wrath or holiness or justice. And again, that would make him that composite being, not a simple one. So when we read verses that say God is love, like in 1 John 4, 8, we don't assume that that attribute or in that moment that he ca- that it carries more significance than the other attributes, because we also know in other places in scripture that God is light in 1 John 1, 5, and that he is a consuming fire in Hebrews 12. Yet we understand it, or we should understand it to mean that he is all of these things at once, perfectly displayed at all times. Um, and so it, and I just think, you know, going back to what we were talking about in the very beginning with people who leave the faith or who question the faith, I think it starts with a question of, you know, how can God be loving and wrathful, right? Like how can God send so many people to hell? I think when we were talking about Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, that was one of the questions he posed. And understanding who God is because of the doctrine of divine simplicity helps us helps us understand that he can be all of those things at one time. Um, so I just think like this doctrine is important. It's one that we don't talk about a lot in the church right now, or mm-hmm. I don't know, the last 200 years, maybe, I don't know how long. Um, but it keeps us from ranking certain attributes above others for God, especially like I was just saying, as it per- pertains to some of his more softer, quote, softer attributes like love and mercy, the things that the secular and lost world really want to focus on rather than his wrath, for example. And I think this common mistake can be harmful, um, especially if we don't talk about those, quote, harsher attributes that allow, because those harsher attributes are what allow lost sinners to understand who God is and that they, so that they can come to a full knowledge of repentance of their sin and faith in him. So talking about all the divine attributes of God at once and how they can all be in his being at once because he's a simple being helps people understand their sin and that God will wrathfully judge that someday if they don't repent. It helps people understand um, how he was loving enough to send Christ to be um, to be the payment for that sin. It under- helps us understand um, his mercy in that, that he doesn't just wipe out humanity right now, that he is merciful in those things. And I just, and just thinking about the friends and people that I talked about in the beginning that have left or walked away or started questioning, they always question one of God's attributes, you know, like, why can he be so wrathful? Um, I don't understand that. Or why does God have to be just and judge sin? And if the church talked about these things more and how they can all be in one being at once, I think we'd see a lot more people stay in the Christian faith. Um, Not to get too, you know, Calvinistic or anything there, but you know, Mm-hmm. If they walk away, they're never of us. But, you know, um, just I think it would help people a lot more um, understand who God is. Absolutely. And I wanted to bring up a absolutely. point because you you started going down that path and I wanted to kind of teeter back on it. How all of these mm-hmm. churches love to talk about, you know, God's love. And we uh, I have a recorded episode um as we record this, that hasn't aired yet. It'll probably air in a couple of weeks on God's love. Um, but 
Mm-hmm. It's yeah. uh, interesting how the church, especially in the seeker-sensitive, friendly circles, um, approach the character and the nature of God. He's so loving. He's so open-armed. He's he wants you to come. You you know you mm-hmm. you come to him. He's waiting for you. The doors open, knock, and what they forget mm-hmm. though is what the Bible actually says. And and I've got uh, three verses. They all say the same exact thing mm-hmm. Matthew 3 2 Matthew 4 17 mm-hmm. and Mark 1 15 and uh mm-hmm. in Matthew 4 17 and Mark 1 15 Jesus is speaking and he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand mm-hmm. Mark he says the time is fulfilled the right. kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel and so what we get actually and and yeah. prior to these comments of jesus you have john the baptist making that same declaration repent of god is at hand what mm-hmm. we i think at a church macro in america have forgotten is that when jesus came on the scene he was preaching repentance right out of the gate he went straight for the throat right. saying you mm-hmm. guys are a bunch of hypocrites john the baptist called him brood of vipers as they attacked the religious people Right. Um, you know, and, and then, I mean, but they went straight to the, to the table and say, you have to repent. This is, this is the gospel, the good news. And then from there, you see Jesus's teachings start to be more compassionate towards the lost and towards the, you know, and so mm-hmm. the church just goes straight to the compassion side and they forget that the call of repentance right. is there. We see that behaved mm-hmm. in Acts, where mm-hmm. Peter gives this um, this big sermon in Acts chapter two, and then the guy, you know, the crowd comes. Okay, what do we do now? Peter says, "Repent and be baptized." And so we yeah. miss the actual like commands of Scripture, and we've placed so much mm-hmm. emphasis on this attribute of God's love that we don't even worship God anymore. We worship a idol right. of ourselves. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think that if the church went back to preaching sound theology and sound doctrine, that you have to come to these, like it would just naturally be there because you're just reading scripture. You're teaching who God is. You're going to have to talk about these things. You can't avoid it. And churches don't do that anymore. But if they did, then when you come to the place where Jesus is speaking about repentance and hell, because he talks about hell more than anybody else in uh, the New Testament, then you have the opportunity as the pastor or elder of your church to explain how God's wrath, when you talk, when you talk about repentance and the judgment to come, that is also tied into God's loving nature. Like they all work together in tandem and unison um, and how God's justice also works with his mercy. It, if you just preach the full counsel of God, you would have the opportunity to explain these things to your congregation and they would have a better understanding of who God is and they wouldn't be worshiping an idol. You know, they would, uh, they would understand. And it just, and that God, the God of the Bible, the God of the pages of scripture, the true mm-hmm. God is so much better 
than anything that we could imagine, better than any, you know, whatever any seeker sensitive church comes up with. Like, I don't want yeah. a God that's just love because then yeah. who's there to yeah. judge sin and evil in the world? And I want, as just a sinful human, you know, we want to take vengeance on things that we like wrongdoing that we see. If we want that, then um, I don't want a God that doesn't want that. And, uh, you know, and the God of the Bible wants it more than we want it. He wants justice. And, you know, it says vengeance is the Lord's. And so um, I think Paul Mm -hmm. says that, but he's quoting Old Testament. Um, And so my heart, because I love the Lord and I love who he is in the pages of scripture. I want the full counsel of God. And I think, um, I just think churches are doing such a disservice to their congregation by not telling them all these attributes and how they all work together and how they can all be in, you know, Mm -hmm. one simple being. Um, One good example, just because we're already talking about it, but I think, um, one way to kind of understand how God can be all of these things at once. And you can correct me if you think that I'm, um, I'm awful on this, but as I was just kind of writing out my notes, this is what uh, came to me. But, um, you know, we don't define love. God does. And he's always perfectly displaying his love while he is also perfectly displaying his justice, wrath, and mercy. So if God is always loving, or we know that God is always loving because at any moment he could, if he wanted mm-hmm. to decide to wipe out sinful humanity, but out of his love for the world from John three sixteen, he chooses not to. But even while that reality, the reality of his love is existing simultaneously, his wrath and his justice are also existing. So if we take Romans one twenty eight for example, where it says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So he's giving, while he's loving the world by not killing everybody right now, by not, uh, you know, by allowing you to take your next breath, um, he is also giving sinful people over to a debased mind. And that's yep. a form of judgment yep. right now before the final judgment. So while he is loving and that he doesn't, you know, wipe out all sinful humanity, he's also judging sinful humanity by allowing them to do what they want. So that's one way to think about it because, we could, I mean, like your next breath is a gift from the Lord. Even the unbeliever has their next breath as a common grace of the Lord. Um, and you're sinful, you know, your smallest sin is, you know, detestable to God, but he allows you to keep breathing. And then, um, but at the same time, he's slowly judging the sinner who has a debased mind. So that's just one way to think about how those two things can be working together simultaneously yeah. in the, That's in the nature good point. of and, and I like bringing up Romans yeah, one because I think what people forget when they are turned over to their sinful nature from a Christian perspective, they, they, you know, they say, well, you know, they, they get to go and, you know, do whatever they want and they can, they can sin all they want and they never get punished and yada, yada. But the mm-hmm. thing with sin is that it's never a quenching thing. You never feel fulfilled emotionally or spiritually. You might get temporary satisfaction, but you will quickly find yourself craving more and more and more. And that's why, you know, drug addicts and alcoholics and people who, you know, are physically abusive, 
verbally abusive, they are just, it's just this craving in their skin to continue doing that because Mm -hmm. they can't find satisfaction. Right. And so that's part of what the judgment of God brings to these individuals in this life is that this like unquenchable thirst to sin and they just can't, Yeah. they can't, you know, satisfy it. And then obviously we know that in right. the next life they will be judged for their sinful nature mm-hmm. because God is just and righteous. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, we can keep on talking about it, but there are yeah, some good objections to the doctrine, which could pose some mm-hmm. good, some good conversation here. Um, and we can talk about that because I'm not like I'm, I didn't mean, like I told you before we started recording, I didn't mean to find objections to it, but there are some interesting ones um, sure, that pose, I guess, some good questions. Um, yeah, so the the biggest, um, I guess, the biggest name attached to some of the objections that I came across was from Dr. William Lane Craig, which a lot of if people know who he is, he's um, a really great apologist of the faith and I've learned from him. Um, and so I was kind of surprised to see him pose some objections to it. Um, I don't think I agree with all of them. Um, and I think when I was writing out these notes, I thought you and I could just kind of talk about them because yep. they're just interesting talking points. But, um, so he kind of took some of the main claims that come from divine simplicity and, just kind of tried to refute them. And uh, one of the claims, I guess, that comes from the doctrine of divine simplicity says that God's properties are not distinct from one another. And so Dr. Craig says that that claim cannot be truth because God is a person, though spirit, and as such expresses different characteristics in different situations. For example, and I'm quoting him here, for example, rejection and acceptance cannot be present simultaneously. God rejected Eliab from being king in 1 Samuel. He could not at the same time accept Eliab as king. Those properties are distinct from one another. Also, existence cannot be identical to omniscience, since there are many things that are that exist yet are not omniscient. So that's Dr. Craig. My thought when I read that, and I'm not <laughs> Dr. Craig, okay? I'm just like a housewife, okay? <laughs> like a simple person compared to him. Uh, but when I read that objection, I'm yeah. reading God's actions, right. not his attributes, So my understanding about the doctrine of simplicity, everything we've just talked about is that God's attributes are always on display perfectly so that when he does something, like in this case, the action he took with Eliab, he is perfectly displaying all attributes at once. So he may have been, um, it may have been God's mercy or justice on display to not choose Eliab, but it was also the most loving thing he could do for him or even the nation of Israel at that, at no, that point. So I don't know if that, yeah, that makes sense you to you if you saw in, that. In that yeah, rebuttal to it. it. And I also think, yeah, too, with, to with his particular comment, he's targeting um, an emotion in terms of rejection. And what, yeah. what I've co- at least come to see from at least the Reform Doctrine is when we see emotion kind of poured out in Scripture uh, from the from God the Father, it's not necessarily 
that you know god um you know re- had a remorse for doing this or that action or he regretted doing because mm-hmm. god doesn't have these types of emotions like humans do however the writers wrote down right. these you know emotions to to for us to understand the nature of god and mm-hmm. and i think william right. trying to say well you know god can't reject this guy and it's you know but at the same time a lot but it's not in an attribute like you said it, it, you're you're combating two completely right. different pieces here to this puzzle and the attributes are you know right. the makeup of god's being and then just like you said his action is something that's you know that god is doing right yeah yeah like well what we've been saying that because he chose to do something it's out of simultaneous love or justice or mercy you know all at the same time like he had a plan Eliab wasn't going to be king eventually he was going to be you know David and all of that so his his plan is for you know it's you know mercy or whatever for the nation of Israel or it's maybe out of protection for and love for Eliab whatever it was his action Mm-hmm. embodied all his attributes um you know at the same time so i don't know i i he has obviously i guess um, when i was looking he has a huge uh i don't know if it's like a book or just a really long essay you've read anything from dr william lane craig it can be kind of hard to read i really respect him like he's a really great apologist he's kind of up there with like mm-hmm. he did a lot of the same yep. things that robbie zacharias did i think and um so you can go and read like the full essay. I just kind of try to pull some, some notes from it. But um, the other, one of the other claims he has or objections he has um, is uh, let's see. So he says that the claim of divine simplicity says that God has no properties distinct from his nature. And Dr. Craig says this claim appears to be the most troublesome as it implies that God's qualities, including the choices he makes, exist unrelated to outside elements. For example, God willed that the son die for sin in Isaiah 53, but the question arises, what if God had not created the world? Would the son's death still be part of God's will? Divine simplicity says yes, because his nature would be unchanged. So my thoughts like this is an analogy, like a, uh, an, I think an extreme analogy, mm-hmm. it gets into a lot of hypotheticals and I just don't think that you can operate that way. I think when it comes to God, because we, yep. we know what we know about him and what has happened has already happened. And we make judgments like about God based on that. And so what God wills happens. And again, I kind of think this gets into the actions yep. versus attributes here. Um, so, but for some reason, this particular claim, quoting Dr. Craig is the most troublesome, but I don't really see it as being, I don't know. I don't see it as being a contradiction to, I, I to don't the either. Doctrine. And I, again, I think your reaction to it makes sense because you're creating a hypothetical scenario to try to disprove something that scripture proves. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, you can say that about right. anything. Well, if God didn't create the world, then obviously sin would never have mm-hmm. entered it. Then you wouldn't be here to make this rebuttal right. or you, you know, make about his, mm-hmm. uh, 
simplicity. And so it, what was kind right. of uh, maybe disappointing, at least to me, is the lack of attempt in terms of trying to disprove the simplicity. Because, I mean, just this casual conversation you and I are having, right. we can just look at it from a different perspective. And, and again, I have nothing against him. I think he's a brilliant and he's a brilliant apologetic mm-hmm. apologist. Um, I just think, you know, but again, I don't agree with everybody on everything. I mean, that would be foolish. Right. Uh, I don't even agree with half the things I say. So, I mean, there you go. So. <laughs> right. 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 And um, and I didn't, like, I, I'm sure there may be other people, but I just, like, yeah. chose oh, him yeah, because absolutely. he's such a well-known apologist that I thought, like, it, like, piqued my interest because I... I respect him and I wanted to see what he had to say about it. Um, trying to see if there's anything else here that he said that would be interesting. He did say um, that, so divine simplicity claims that God's nature is not distinct um, from his existence. And so uh, he's, Dr. Craig says the statement's problematic. He says existence is a characteristic of God, but it does not define God. If God's nature were identical to his existence, then he would be simply the act of existing. In other words, God would not really have an essence at all. And Craig says it's unintelligible. So my initial question was, is existence a characteristic of God? I guess like his omniscience is, I don't know. Are we conflate or like we confusing characteristic versus attribute? I mean, So I kind of looked into like some philosophical questions here and one essay I came across talking about attributes and characteristics from a religious theological perspective said, and I'd be interested to hear what you say about this, but they said, um, mercy is a characteristic of God because it is part of the very nature of God, but justice is an attribute of God because it is a manifestation in the world that derives from characteristics like mercy. Mm, I, I don't know if I'd agree with it because I think mercy and, and justice both have equal weight in terms of the nature of God. And so mm-hmm. it, you could not have justice without mercy, but you can't have mercy without justice either. So they have to be equally played into the nature of God and right. who he is. You know, God demonstrated mercy in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against him. And then, you know, but while equally, you know, uh, establishing his justice to to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, and mm-hmm. then you can say, you know, fast forward to the yeah. flood. You can say that God, you know, wiped the world clean in his righteous judgment, but then showed mercy to eight people. So you, all throughout scripture, mm-hmm. it's this, it's a, a fine two piece, you know, sword or however you want to view it. But God is always displaying one with the other in, in effect as well. And so, I, I would uh, I definitely yeah. have to say that they both have to be attributes of him fully. Right, right. And one thing, another kind of comes, it, it, it relates to this, but um, I was also reading on mm-hmm. gotquestions.org, which mm-hmm. is a great resource as well. Um, when I was reading their article about divine simplicity, 
sometimes you, when you start reading one of their articles, you don't know what they're going to like, do they agree with what they're writing about? And you don't know till the end what their conclusion is, but they seem to have trouble with the doctrine as well. Um, but they said the main issue is because the doctrine of simplicity portrays mm -hmm. God as an idea rather than a person. And, but we can see in scripture, they say and got questions that God presents himself to us in human, not metaphysical terms. Cause he calls himself the father, you know, he has human attributes or he compares himself to having human attributes and he documents his range of emotions. And then when Jesus came to earth, you know, that showed us that God wasn't a concept that he was a person like a creator. Um, and so, but when I, like before I even read, like I said, I came across the objections after I've been studying. So when I'm, when I was reading through the, the doctrine of simplicity, I'm not thinking of God as an idea because I know who he is from the pages of scripture. I know that he has, well, like Jesus, the son has had a body and he's not just a concept or an idea. Like I understand that he's a being when I read the doctrine of simplicity, like when I read about it, I understand that he's not just an like an, mm -hmm. like a idea, you know, out there in the world. So, I mean, I guess I can understand how people who maybe don't understand, like they don't have a good concept. They would read divine simplicity and be like, well, God's like this bubble of love and mercy and <laughs> something floating out there. But I don't, I don't get that when I read. And then when I studied about it before I even came across the objections. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. And I was actually looking at the same article you brought up. And, and, and again, I think it goes yeah. back to what I said earlier is that when we, in the essence of talking about God, the father, he prayed to us as a person, right? Mm -hmm. With these, with the terminology. But I think that helps us as humans yeah. begin to comprehend it because guess what? Another attribute of God's is, is that he's incomprehensible. And so, how can right. we right. make, you know, any sort of definitive statement that God or that the simplicity doesn't work because we get, you know, some language in scripture that would point him to be, you know, an image for us to understand. And I think that type right. of an approach is what to me just kind of dissolves their argument altogether because now you're saying, well, now you can understand God. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, 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 well, he does that in other ways. I mean, like he portrays himself like the Holy Spirit yeah. as a male, mm -hmm. like a, the gender of male. But we understand in other places that he's that's not really maybe how he is, but that's how he chooses to right. show himself to us, just like he chooses right. father yeah. instead of mother. You know, okay. like he chooses those things for us to understand him and we don't have exactly. the right to change those things yeah, as and humans. I, think, I mean, and then we even get, you know, text like uh, where Jesus refers to himself as a mother hen. I, and what's aggravating about that mm -hmm. particular notion is now people are coming <laughs> saying, well, you know, God can be a woman and, and no, just stop while you're ahead. Yeah, I know. <sighs> like, understand right, literary exactly. devices. <laughs> Like they existed in right, exactly. Jesus' day yeah. as well. <laughs> you know, and, and I think mm -hmm. again, what it comes down to is the human understanding of the character and nature of God is far, you yeah. know, like our 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 beginning to grasp 
is only what we get in the 66 books of the canonical Bible. Like that's all we get. We don't get anything else. Mm-hmm. And you know, right. we've got, we've been blessed with 2000 years of fantastic theologians and the early church fathers and men who have slaved over learning and reading and studying scripture in the, you know, in mm-hmm. the, the languages and trying to put together these doctrines for us to understand today. And, you know, I get it that there will be some who, you know, may argue against some of the attributes, you know, the more fringe level ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, simplicity seems to yeah. have uh, a little bit of blowback. But I think it comes down to a simple mm-hmm. misconception or just misunderstanding of the way the doctrine itself is supposed to be placed. But again, I'm not one to tell William yeah. that he's wrong. I'm not one to tell got questions that they're wrong. <laughs> but from uh-huh. my understanding, and I would can say from your understanding as well that we're on the same page in terms that an attribute of God is simplicity because he can't be made up of any other attribute any more so than the other. He's not made up of matter right. or anything that would cause him to change or less or greater than mm-hmm. in any degree. Right. Right. And I mean, I just think that it, not to, make a pun or anything, but I think the doctrine Mm -hmm. of simplicity can be really simple. Like you just, um, understand it, that that is how God is. Like he just is who he is. And I see, you know, like I was saying before I even came to the objections is I'm just reading through, you know, some essays and articles about simplicity. You know, I was seeing the doctrine just in light of who I already knew God was or who he is to be in scripture, like one living and true God, infinite, all knowing spirit, perfect in all his attributes, one essence, you know, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So I'm reading these characteristics, or I'm reading the doctrine of simplicity in light of who I already know God is. So to me, it's really, it, I don't want to say easy, it is easy to understand, or it's just easy to then say, well, that's how God can be loving yep. and wrathful at the same time. And just knowing that, um, as a perfect God, you know, he not only displays his attributes, but is them because he gets to define what they are. You know, we don't define love. He does. And he's always perfectly displaying his love. while also perfectly displaying his justice and wrath and mercy. So again, I think the mm-hmm. doctrine can be very simple. Um, of course, uh, apologists want to yeah. debate. <laughs> I think it's just nerds. natural, yeah, like the old, theologians and apologists. Right. They just want to get into like the weeds of stuff. And I think there could be weeds here, but also I just think, like when we were reading Dr. Craig's objections, I thought just they were really it. easily. Yeah. yeah. Because if you just mm-hmm. already know who God is, like just reading the Bible, then you'll understand like, okay, this is how, like going back to Noah, he could do what he did, but also be loving, you know? So, um, and when I, like a few years ago, when we started like talking about our friends leaving and walking away from the faith and all that, you know, I was using some of these arguments to help them understand that this is how God can be that way. So I think a lot of people listening may already, who have a good, strong foundation in their faith, may already know this, explain God this way. Um, you know, but hopefully now they can kind of give it a fancy name, I guess. But I think um, just going back to what we were talking about in the very beginning, um, understanding 
all these attributes of God working together helps you understand just how perfect he is and how holy he is. And, um, it causes me to worship him even more, um, give him glory even more for being all of these things. And so, um, maybe this will help people talk to friends who are asking these questions, like how God can be so wrathful or how can he be, if God's loving, how can he, you know, decree certain things? But, um, yeah, I just think it, it doesn't have to be, uh, a doctrine that's yeah. full, filled with weeds, you know, yep. I, I think yep. it can be really and simple. I think that's perfect. And I think that's, uh, that's the best way to take it forward is to try to just yeah pull out some of the objections and, and view them and through a right lens, but also say, you know, this is what we can put forward as a doctrine to people and just say, this is what it is simply, <laughs> you know, and, and allow people mm-hmm. to yeah. dig deeper into it. And, and that's what we've I've been trying to do with all these attributes is say, you know, these are such complex attributes for people to try to, to, to handle. I mean, we can get we can grasp mm-hmm. mercy and love and justice and righteousness. But then you start talking about incomprehensibility and immutability and all the options. And I mean, you start to get mm-hmm. your brain all swirled up. And and I my yeah. encouragement for people listening is to go and read books and dig into them because you know like aw pink does a great series on the attributes of god um i I mean i've got Mm -hmm. uh uh, i believe his name is matthew bartlett bartnett or something i can't pronounce the last name but he did uh, none greater great view of the attributes great book on him so yes yeah so you know there's plenty there's tons of resources out there for people to read up on with any Mm -hmm. of these you know, it's not just the simplest. I mean, you just type that into Google and get 20 websites in 30 seconds. Uh-huh. So right. Um, anything else right. on your agenda that you'd like to cover? All right. No, I think that was it. I mean, um, it's just, like I said, one of those um, doctrines or attributes of God that um, I think just really helps us understand who he is. And I think another you know, important thing to note, which we've talked about before, and I'm sure others um, on your podcast have too, is that, you know, we don't get to define these characteristics of God. Like when we have love, we love because he first loved us. It's love defined by God. It's wrath defined by God. It's mercy defined by God. It's not our human definitions. And so I think it's just really important that we submit ourselves to the pages of scripture when we read um, what love is defined by God, what wrath is defined by God. And because he is perfectly all of these things all at once, then he has the right to define those things and he is those things. Then we just have to submit to that. And I think that's where a lot of people who do end up walking away from the faith or have questions who never, or an atheist who never really comes over to the faith, they just can't get past their human nature in light of that. And they want to impose their humanness onto God. And that's where so many people just have problems because they can't get past it. And I, so my prayer, my hope is that if there's anybody listening who does question these things or has people in their lives that are, that you would prayerfully and humbly 
submit yourself to the God of the Bible and don't try and make him fit your agenda or the culture's agenda. Because then, like you were saying earlier, Alex, then you just have a God that you've made like it's an idol. Um, You're just making him up as you want him to be. And that's hard for human nature to submit to who God is already. But when you do that, I think there's like just such freedom in that. Um, As believers and Christians will say, it's not that it's easy to understand, but there's freedom in understanding or freedom in knowing, you know, the God of the Bible and submitting to him. That's perfectly well said. And I think that's what it, you know, even as we as Christians and those who struggle with assurance or faith, it's, you know, just, you know, looking at where you think your weakness is and where you think your, um, you know, maybe misunderstanding of scripture is, or maybe it is an attribute of God that you're struggling with. You know, it is that full submission. And then we see that all through scripture, mm-hmm. especially when Paul's writing, you know, that it's, it's this, you know, dying to yourself, as Jesus says, it's, you know, yeah. surrender, it's give up this world, give up the pleasures of this world. And, you know, turn your life to Christ. And it's a continual yeah. life changing, ongoing process that we will never complete until the moment we die. But I mm-hmm. found that, especially in the last year, and even in these last few months, digging into these attributes, you know, just a much more peaceful, you know, um, yeah. relationship. Because, in the, you know, I, I know that this is my God. I, I, why worry? Why struggle with anxiety or assurance mm-hmm. and issues like that? You know, my God is, is mm-hmm. righteous and just, and he will continue to do and fulfill the promises that he's laid out in scripture for us. Right. So absolutely. I think we nailed that topic and we talked a little bit about some, some mm-hmm. other things early on, but great build into yeah. our topic of simplicity. And, uh, so I think, uh, you'd said early in the show, cause I was, we were talking a little bit about time and I said, yeah, I keep it usually about 45 minutes. And, and uh, I said, if we get to an hour, a little longer, it's fine. We're at an hour and 20 by the time we'll end this. So uh, I hope, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, and again, this isn't even extensive, you know, or exhaustive. I mean, this is this is right. a right. surface scratch. I mean, what you can talk about in an hour doesn't yeah. even begin to unpack everything. So, uh, Leanne, yeah. thank you for joining me tonight right. and uh, taking some time and uh, just hashing this out. I think this is a great episode, and I really hope people come back and listen to it a few times and take notes and. Uh, really start to unpack yeah. that. So um, that's all I got. You got anything else to add? Yeah. No, just thanks for having me. It was really fun to dive into this a little bit deeper and um, just learning about who our God is. And Absolutely. I hope it's helpful to other people. And again, I every time I get somebody on, they always teach me something new and show me, you know, just they, they bring a, a new reality and a new freshness to something that I'm looking at. So thank you for coming on. I very much yeah. appreciate it. Yep. And uh, so yep, absolutely. again, um, follow her on Instagram and uh, at faithful defender and uh, don't blow up her DMS for a while. Give me a break. Um, and, and again, I think what it, what all this, 
will ultimately boil down to, especially with this this bursting of the Trojan horse into the Christian movement, is you know we I was talking to some friends earlier is we essentially need like a new reformation, like we need a new like just yeah. that the the defining moment where we say enough liberal Christianity, we have to go back to rightful doctrine. Mm. And, uh, so, right. It does. Gosh, it doesn't on paper, good. but who's going to step up and do it is kind of the question. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's all I got, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. We uh, we we had a lot of fun doing this, and I'm so blessed to have Leanne on to uh, um, knock this out with me as we continue plowing through the attribute series. And I hope you guys go back and listen to some of these other episodes because this one really starts to put those big pieces together, and we start to see how they all kind of function and flow together. So. Until next week, y'all have fun. God bless. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.